0: Welcome to today's episode of The Mary Trump Show. Uh, Nerd Avengers, Jen Rubin, thank you so much for being here, and I hope the light in the dining room is on or off as you wish.
1: Yes, well, we'll see what it does. It makes it a little brighter. It's a little overcast and rainy here in D.C.
0: Yeah, we had a bit of a snow squall here up on the Cape. It was quite nice. Um... But anyway, uh it's sort of reflective of my mood, to be honest. Um, like right now, I don't really care how many days there are left until the 2024 <laughs> presidential election. I don't care if George Santos is on committees or not. I mean, it's better that he not be, but he's still in Congress. Um, you know, I we it almost feels like anytime. There's a, an egregious act of police brutality. We have the same conversation. It's almost like, oh, wow, um, I guess we need to have this conversation now. Maybe this time it'll be bad enough. Um, and it just reminds me that I, I'm pretty sure things have been this bad or worse uh, since the civil war ended. I mean, <laughs> it's it just it's a the entirety of our post Civil War history to say things haven't been bad enough to get us to pay attention. Um, am I overstating the case, or you know, uh, are my are our collective frustrations about this uh, justified? Because it seems un- unsustainable and untenable.
1: Well, I think during the height of Jim Crow, when actually had lynchings in the South, things were markedly yeah. worse, um, but. I do think that we have really stalled out and every time we come up to this point, people who know our history and know something about uh, policing say we have a systemic problem and the right wing says, no, it's just a few bad apples. And that's the end of the conversation. And then we go back to our daily lives until the next episode comes up. And how many bad apples do we need? So clearly there is something else um, there. And the question is, will the right ever accept it? Or do they simply don't care? Um, for, the, for them, they think it doesn't affect them. Um, it's not their supporters, it's not them. And this is the price they think they pay for um, police protection. Yeah, I think there's um, still room for some innovative uh, thinking. And my suggestion for a reform that you might actually get some Republicans to agree to is stop having cops make traffic stops. Mm -hmm. That is the source of a huge number of these incidents. It's ridiculous that we should have police running around being meter maids, essentially. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who's obviously drunk driving or reckless Mm -hmm. driving. I'm talking about the quintessential stop where they stop someone for a broken headlight or a tag, or what have you. And the cities that have stopped doing this have, I think, reduced the incidence. And not only do Blacks get stopped more often, they get, um, they turn into, hi, um, um They result in violence against uh, Blacks more often. And you know what the fascinating statistic is? That at night, there's not that imbalance because the cops can't see who's driving, that you really see during the day this stark contrast um, in how we deal with it. And there's no reason why we have to have cops making inconsequential traffic stops. Um, we don't have to agree on whether this is systemic violence against blacks or not. is a bad use of police uh, resources, and it results in a lot of bad incidents. So stop doing it. And then we can argue about other things later. So mm-hmm. that would be one reform that I would like to see, if not nationalized, at least spread and see what happens. Let's do it. Let's do an experiment. Um, are we really so rife with traffic incidents that this would cause, you know, chaos in our cities and towns? I don't think so.
0: No, we're not. And uh, there are changes like that, practical changes uh, in domestic violence or mental health uh, crises. What are cops doing there? I mean, maybe uh, I'm not saying there's no role necessarily, especially, hey Norm. Uh, if if there's violence involved, but there should be a social worker. There should be uh, some other kind of mental health professionals there, and um, you know, <laughs> Norm. What what we see now, I, I it is a systemic issue, uh, but as as Jen Rubin just said let's start with the obvious you know no traffic no traffic stops that you know don't have cops doing mundane traffic stuff uh don't have these um hyper aggressive heavily armed specialized units i mean the 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 scorpion acronym the p in that acronym stands for peace so you know it's just so orwellian but we see the same patterns in, in almost every single one of these cases, whether it's a traffic stop or if it's police officers breaking into somebody's home while they're sleeping, the police initiate the, the contact. Um, they, uh, according to their training, deliver contradictory commands that the the person who's being um, screamed at can't follow. Uh, we saw in the New York Times that seventy in thirteen minutes, seventy-one commands were screamed at Tyree Nichols, um, putting him in an impossible situation. And it's racism. It is white supremacy. And and Norm, it seems like uh, a lack of of will to deal with that and. Um, I understand why, but and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be making the obvious changes like now, but it's because that white supremacy, white supremacy undergirds all of this. It just we every single time it happens, it seems like it's the first time it's happened. And oh, my goodness, now we have to now we have to deal with it. I mean, I thought that I thought that about um Certainly about George Floyd, I thought that that was going to be it. But remember Rodney King? That was supposed to be the beginning of, of real reform. And here we are. How many years later? 30 years later? I don't remember. It's a long time ago.
2: Yeah. So, Mary, this is a subject on which I actually have some knowledge. Yep. Um, uh, not because I particularly wanted to. Um, but... You know, in the aftermath of my son Matthew's death, um, I became acquainted with and then quite close to a remarkable judge in Miami Dade County, Florida, named Steve Leifman, who's completely transformed the way the criminal justice system there deals with people with serious mental illness and reformed the police in ways that extend beyond the encounters with people with mental illness. Um, and it's made an enormous difference. And it's a difference that saves lives and also saves money. You know, one of the things that's going to happen in Memphis, uh, as just an aside, is the family is going to file a wrongful death suit, and Memphis taxpayers are going to be out tens of millions of dollars, most likely. Uh, They never notice these things, but they should, because it's a major impetus towards reform. So just in a nutshell, what happened in Miami is, And this is a huge county, seventh most populous in the country. They started with massive crisis intervention, team policing training. It's a 40-hour program, ironically, started in Tennessee, um, but it teaches de-escalation. It also teaches to understand when somebody's in crisis and not to uh, make it worse. And they had to drag the police initially, kicking and screaming. You have to offer a little bit of a financial incentive. Now uh, the police are lining up to do this. They've trained over 7,000 police officers. But there are plenty of places that do CIT training, Minneapolis being one of them. It's not enough, obviously. The second thing that happened, and this is a critical element, they began the crisis intervention trainer, who's a marvelous woman, uh, began to get 150 calls a month from police officers asking for help for their own mental illnesses and trauma. Huge numbers have PTSD. A lot of them are veterans. They got it there. They're in high stress situations. They can't deal with it inside the department. They will be removed from uh, uh, duty or uh, ridiculed. She began to get them training outside the department And it's made an enormous difference. You know, more police die of suicide every year than in the line of duty. There's enormous alcoholism, drug abuse. uh, There's uh, family violence, uh, divorce. And if you can deal with that, you can begin to move in an appropriate direction. They've cut the number of arrests in more than half. They've cut the number of shootings from an average of uh, two a month to uh, one or two in the last five or six years, they've been able to close a jail and save a ton of money, and they, the city of Miami, actually had its bond rating improved because of the decline in wrongful death and wrongful assault suits. So you can do this as a start, and it actually helps because you'll get a lot of police who are willing uh, rather than resisting everything. But the whole culture in the department there changed. If you Assault somebody because they're abusive to you, or even because they assault you, you're the wuss now. If you de escalate and get out of it without anybody being hurt, you're the good one. So that's a start. But yeah. let's face it, there's a much deeper set of pathologies in policing in the country. There's the way we recruit people into police forces that does not screen out white supremacists or violent personalities. We know what the training is like. And in the training, We've got these people who make a ton of money going around the country training new co- recruits that if there's any doubt, you shoot to kill. And now we see a couple of police forces where the chiefs are saying, no, if there's if you're confronting somebody with a gun, shoot them in the legs. And it's made an enormous difference. Police unions reject that, and yep. they have become an enormous problem. I'll tell you, in Florida, watching sheriffs and some police line up behind the Florida legislators who are trying to move to no permit required concealed carry for everybody when this is of danger to the police more than anybody to law enforcement tells you where the unions are. And obviously mandatory arbitration where the arbitrator is chosen has to be approved by both the police chief and the uh, union. The arbitrators know if they rule against any cop they lose their livelihoods, so nobody ever gets punished. And of course, qualified immunity. All mm-hmm. of those things have to be dealt with. But frankly, police unions shouldn't exist in the first place.
0: Right. I agree completely. Yeah. And I just want to go back to Jen Rubin for a second, Jen, because we were talking about traffic stops. There's no de escalating, like nothing had happened. I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's evidence that uh, Mr. Nichols did anything. Um, to to require him to be not only treated the way he was treated, but pulled over at all. Uh, so <clears throat> there, part of its mentality, right? It's it's you put in the position a bunch of police officers who who are told in subtle and not so subtle ways that their mandate is to be aggressive. Uh, that that the people in the community are not are not the people they're there to protect and serve, but they're the people that they're there to protect other people from. So, so something that she, they, these officers yeah. shouldn't have even been involved in ends up the way this, it's almost inevitable, It right? It almost feels like that. And I
1: think the other thing that happens in these cases is The defenders of um, police abuse, frankly, go looking for any small mistake that the victim made. Oh, he didn't raise his hands fast enough, or he ran, or he did a whole myriad of things. That does not justify the shooting. And I think we have to get away from this um, reconstruction as if the cops were provoked in some manner care if they were provoked. Um, You don't beat someone um, after you have cornered him mercilessly um, until he dies, even if he had been provoked, even if he ran, even if he called them a bunch of names, even if he did weird things, which we have no evidence he did we have to stop looking at these as if they're justifiable homicides. They're not. Um, And I think this is part of the mentality that we start from, um, which is that we always assume that the cop is right. I was raised that way. Most of us were raised that way. The cop is the good guy. Cops have no reason to lie. Cops are honorable. Cops are there to protect you. Yes, but not all of them do. And I think we have to, as a society, start looking, first of all, at these incidents as crimes. The cops are committing crimes. They're not preventing crimes. This is a crime. This is a murder. And I think until we kind of change the way we look at these things and we include these as part of the crime wave that we're having, we're going to get back to the same blame the victim, you know, kind of thing. And I guarantee you, Even the most well-meaning people, Biden, the first thing he will say is the overwhelming majority of cops are good guys. Yes, but that's not helping the conversation. That may be statistically true. But the fact that we have 10 percent or 5 percent or 2 percent, whatever the number is, shows there is something fundamentally wrong. And you don't say the When you catch a bank robber, you know, the overwhelming majority of people who go into a bank are good guys. You see, they caught the robber. This is a problem. Um, and I think the, even the well-meaning among us have trouble getting into this conversation in a significant way. And, you know, I'm even doubtful, frankly, about things like qualified immunity, because these guys apparently they think they can get literally get away with murder. So well, they do, and they, <laughs> they do. So they it's very not often do. criminal prosecution deters them. Would qualify immunity removal deter them? I don't know. Um, so you know, I am not optimistic. Um, I think um, this begins with a whole lot of conversation that goes well beyond politicians, and you know, I. I shudder to think that we're going to be back here in a month or two months or three months and we're going to be having the same conversation.
0: Well, we're going to be having the same conversation in part because saying the vast majority of cops are good guys ends the conversation before we can even meaningfully have it. Because it isn't about the individual. It is about the system. And that's what never gets challenged to the degree it needs to because it's failing to do that protects too many people with power and you know here we are once again danielle where um things like i i it still shocks me how many people continue to say things like oh well if only he should have complied okay he it was that was impossible and secondly as as jen points out are cops such fragile people that they can't handle somebody swearing at them or, you know, an unarmed person resisting because they're being attacked by five people with guns and tasers. Um, I mean, the unprofessionalism, like in what other profession do you say, you know, outside of trash talking and, and sports or something, do you, do you say, I hope they stomp his ass? Right. What? So there's this, um, to continuing to use the same bullshit excuses you should have complied well you know the officers were black so it's not about race i it's just maddening danielle because it never feels like pro- meaningful progress is being made and i think uh i mean i'm at the point where i'm all for funding the police quite honestly you
3: know um i, I there are so many things um that are triggered by Tyree Nichols murder. And the reality is why does nothing change? Because nobody in power wants it to change. Exactly. Um and and that's the reality. You know sorry when, Danielle, when...
0: I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to say one thing to clarify and, and I apologize. I'm a little off my game today because you know this is and we'll talk about this later, but this stuff is all cumulative. You know, we're never just dealing with anything in isolation because it just the, sh- the hits just keep on coming. But um, the only relevance in the uh, the only reason that the race of the officers is relevant is uh, if you look how swiftly they were punished. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, sorry. And, and
3: you know, I, I just like there there are there are a couple of things that uh that I will say and have been saying um since this all happened, which is you know. If you want to talk about connecting the dots, then connect it to what uh, Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, connect it to what is happening in North Dakota, connect it to what is happening in Texas when you're talking about the erasure of education and any and any curriculum that would be implemented to show the fullness, the richness, and the humanity of Black people in this country. Right? So, you want to erase all of these things, and then you want to continue to uphold a system that was built out of slavery. This is what I continue to tell people policing was built out of slavery. What was the reason for policing to stop enslaved Black people from getting free? So, when you look at these cases and these incidents, and we understand if we were to actually teach about systemic racism, right, and how it is embedded in all aspects of our lives then you would understand that the race of the officers in this violent attack is not uh is is not an anomaly right james baldwin wrote about this right like you know you had you had people as far back as as, as frederick douglas write about this right it is this idea that if you are a black person and you're able to wrap yourself in blue and attach a badge to yourself, then somehow you are better than the other black people that you are policing. There were people that were living inside the house with master. Do you know what I'm saying? Because the proximity Mm -hmm. to power allowed them to feel free-ish. So if people actually, if they were taught In a way that had you understand what white supremacy is, what systemic racism is, then you wouldn't have fools talking about the fact that this can't possibly be anti blackness because the attackers were black. Right. That just shows you how little you fucking know. Right. Right. And And how little they want you to know, because when you see the attacks on public education, when you see the attacks on people developing a consciousness, around systemic racism, then you understand how we have systems like this. And to Jennifer's point about Joe Biden, Democrats are the worst, are the worst around this. I know where Republicans stand. We have always known where Republicans stand. But when you have one of the first things that Joe Biden did when he had the, the, his first state of the union was to say, we don't need to defund the police. We need to fund, fund, fund the police if you all remember that and i'm talking and i'm saying to myself oh yeah that's what they need they need more money and what i said this weekend on msnbc is that you can't train out anti-blackness that's not how it works right you do have to look at this as crimes that are happening because it as rashad robinson from color of change said yesterday on Joy Reid's show that if doctors and nurses had the same statistics in terms of killings that police officers have we wouldn't even be having this conversation because then right. nobody would be going into anybody's hospital. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because it would be crazy, yeah. right? You they can just kill with impunity, like, oops. You know, the scaffold just ended up in his heart or his brain, you know, and that be okay. And that be accepted. And that's what we are asking of society to do is just accept that these killings are just par and par for the course of being a cop. No, it's part and par for the course of being a bad fucking cop, right?
0: And 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 the system sort of makes it if if not inevitable, more likely, right? I mean, gentle, uh, we, as Danielle said, you can't train out blackness, you can't anti-blackness, you can't train out anti-blackness if the people designing the training, if the people keeping the system in place are whites are 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 aligned with the goals of white supremacy, and that's what we have here. We have. I, I just a system that is is has been corrupted from the ground up from its inception, and the conversation always happens around the edges of that uh you know fund more why <laughs> more weapons What? no <laughs> you know so in other words, doubling down um on all of the uh I don't want to say superficial, but all of the sort of practical problems with, as a way to change the subject away from why uh, we keep having to, why we keep ending up here, or staying here, I should say.
4: If anyone was truly serious about solving this problem, we would immediately have federal legislation that, forbid any traffic stops on federal highways or any highways that get federal funding which is all of them and no traffic stops by armed police officers Um, two things about that one obviously technology is a capable solution you there should be a mechanism for giving tickets that you know the way you can the way we don't even have um toll booths anymore for paying tolls. But we've known about this for a long time. I mean, the New York Times in 2021, so two years ago, put up a study saying that they looked at five years and that there were 400 unarmed motorists who were were killed during a uh, police encounter with the police. That that they were not. Um, it was a, um, they weren't being pursued for a violent crime. It was just a stop. That's too. That one is too many. There is no need to have these at all. And to I completely agree with you to begin the conversation to say cops are good. That's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant whether it's not relevant whether someone's good or bad. If you're asking them to do a job that results in murdering citizens and where the public is rationally afraid of the police they're not public safety officers so i don't understand why there isn't immediate legislation and i agree that it almost feels like democrats are like the black cops who want to show that they're you know this whole like tough on crime because they're kind of anticipating being accused i just you know i i grew up in a mostly white community my life is much more integrated now But I don't remember the police kind of showing up anywhere um, and just to check in, you know, check in on me. And when my car was pulled over, if I was ever speeding, no one did a search for me. I often got away with a smile and and no ticket. And we know why that is. And this idea, and there were, you know, in my high school parties, there were drugs and alcohol. And if the police came, they told us to turn down the music and if we didn't turn on the music they said the party's over no one ever got arrested are you fucking kidding me right. in this in the white suburbs of detroit right that's not gonna happen there was always a disparity and we all knew it and we thanked our lucky stars that we weren't being policed and i think we just need to own up to this and The the reason why and one last thing, sorry, the reason why police are pulling people over on interstate highways is to find drugs. The reason why they're pulling them over elsewhere is to give tickets to raise money for their counties. You Mm -hmm. know, we've seen this incentives, incentive structures, as well as systemic racism means that this is going to continue. And the only way to end it is to change the laws.
0: Yeah. And just to your point really quickly about Democrats, uh, it it reminds me of how uh, every single head of the FBI has been a Republican, how Democrat attorneys general bend over backwards to appoint a special counsel, a Republican appointed attorneys. It's just this this concession that, you know, Democrats can't really do the Democrats aren't tough enough. Uh, So they either um, delegate, giving the impression that the other side is better uh, at certain things or um, they overcompensate. And Danielle, sorry, I'm just seeing this. uh, Sebastian was blocking the chat. Uh, You wanted to add something?
3: I wanted to say real quick to the points that Jen was making as like a high schooler and you know a young person growing up in a majority white area is you know I similarly and I the people who listen to me know that I grew up in a ninety-six percent white area. I never uh saw any type of interaction with the police in any type of way at any parties, at any place, you know, where I was around. It wasn't until you know, later, just, you know, literally a few years ago when I moved back from Washington, D.C. to New York and was living in two different parts of have lived now in two different parts of Brooklyn, one that is, you know, uh, incredibly white and the other one that was incredibly black and immigrant. There are police that are stationed at the at the subway, right? Like with the bright lights and the and and everything at the subway during regular work and school commuting hours. So the 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 interactions that the black people have in this part of Brooklyn is one of consistent watching, right, and just waiting for something to go awry. If you see too many black boys getting off of the train because they're coming from school and they're you know loud and 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 jostling with one another, there you is more being kids, being kids. You know, yeah. there is more likely that they are going to be yoked up, right and searched and all of these things and that is their consistent interaction with police i moved to the largely white area uh in 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 brooklyn just you know 20 minutes uh away there are no police anywhere i never see them you know what i'm saying like i they're not at the subway they're not you know just casually you know driving around like i never see police and that was always my like my relationship growing up because of where I where I lived and so it yeah. it's, it's when people are just so um, locked into their own uh, uh, vacuums and their own little bubble worlds they're like oh the police are great like they're there to help and it's just like because you live in a white neighborhood you know what I'm saying like you have to understand what it's actually like to be seen not as a person worthy of uh, of protection and safety, but as the problem that needs to be cleaned up and wiped out every day. I'm
1: ashamed of a memory, a very clear memory I have. I was in high school at the time. A bunch of us were driving around. We not only had beer in the car, we had open beer. We got pulled over, and the cop told us to pour it out on the grass and go home. Yep. That's the difference in experience. And you wonder why there's a disproportionate policing here? My god. I look back on that and and somewhat in horror. But to your point about the FBI, look who gets. It's talk about another white guy failing and keeping his job. Not only did Ray blow it on January 6, he was wrapped over the coals last uh, Congress by the Senate for refusing for failing to follow the law and collect information on domestic terrorism. Is there no penalty? I mean, how many times does a white guy have to screw up before he gets fired?
0: he will get promoted probably.
1: Exactly. What is he going to be the next attorney general? So I think the capacity for excusing bad policing, bad leadership in policing is way too high. Way too high. And it bothers me you, to your point, um, Danielle. You don't have any Democrats calling to get rid of him. He was a Trump appointee. What, what loyalty they possibly have to him? My God.
0: It'll make them look weak or, you yeah, know, exactly. And then or be, what have you. Know, you. Then they'll
1: be anti police or whatever. Um, so yeah. I think we have, you know, the problem on so many different levels. And, you know, I would like someone. The president is too busy, someone to take ownership of this at a level that is commensurate with the problem. Um, Doug Emhoff, I have a piece coming out tomorrow, bless his soul, has now taken anti-Semitism, the fight against anti-Semitism as his personal mission. Whose personal mission is it in the administration to work on this problem? And don't tell me it's the vice president because she's African-American. That's a ridiculous argument. Give me somebody whose sole job it is to work on this systemic, horrible problem. And then I'll take them seriously that they really care about this. I don't see whose mandate this is. It certainly isn't, you know, Merrick Garland. It sure isn't the FBI.
0: Well, maybe the civil rights division of the DOJ will, uh, surprise us
3: but it can't can't be in the just to that point it can't be those divisions because they're marginalized in and of the in and of themselves and it's just like and no and and again it is black people did not create this problem and yet we're always the ones that are called upon to fucking fix it well exactly it's it's like it's like so outside of the vice president even though you have the title of vice president i'm like who's working like you're right who is working on this issue who inside of this overly militarized police force, who's in the Pentagon working on it? Who's in the FBI working on it, right? And, like,
0: And yeah, it, exactly. It, it, this is a white people problem. The, the people who suffer because of it are disproportionately, and that's not a big enough word, people of color. But this is a problem started by and perpetuated by white people who they continue to benefit from it and don't understand the ways in which it is terrible for everybody. And, you know, Norm, it, it's so structural that you, you point to an example of, um, changes, deep structural changes that work. And I know that's happened in other, I believe there's a a town in Maryland that, that basically started from scratch with its, with its police department. And we, Affected real change, and yet it doesn't gain traction. Why? I mean, if you you have demonstrable evidence that there are ways to change uh, the system so that it's safer, more equitable, uh, more economical, Um, why don't people, why don't other um, police departments across the country... And that's another issue too. There's like no, like there are thousands of different police departments and they all have totally different ways of, of working, but like, what, what, what do we need to do? Uh, because it seems Norm, that the example you point to kind of gets around the issue of making white people feel bad about themselves. Cause we can't have that now, can we?
2: Yeah. So let's unpack this a little bit, Mary. Uh, it's a local problem in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We have local communities that have struck deals with police unions um, and uh, have done it for their own short-term convenience and now are paying the price. At some level, it has to be a bottom-up kind of thing. But we also know the federal government plays a, a role here in, um, in multiple ways. One is the enormous mistake that was made by the Defense Department giving surplus military equipment to police departments. And so you've got these weapons of war, which uh, militarizes the police, but it also suggests that the people are the enemy and it changes a mindset that has to stop, period. The second is that the Justice Department has the ability and they've used it to take over police departments that are completely dysfunctional and transform them. You can't do it all as long as you have mandatory arbitration, qualified immunity, no changes in the recruitment process, uh, and no ability to weed out the white supremacists and the sadists from it. But you've got an ability to move into some places and begin to clean them up. And the third thing is, the federal government has a ton of money through the Justice Department that goes to police departments. We need to have an aggressive move to use that money to punish the offending departments by cutting off the money and to reward the ones who are implementing significant positive changes to begin to make a change around the country. And there, I think, you know, I agree with Danielle and everybody else that you know, the first thought is Kristen Clark should be the one doing this, the head of the, the assistant attorney general in charge of civil rights. But you're right. That's not the place where this should go. It's a much deeper problem. It needs to be solved by white people looking much more broadly at these issues. And what the president needs to do is to pick somebody, maybe even at a cabinet level, who can begin to look at every element of this and maybe it's somebody who has a background in law enforcement, in criminal justice, but somebody with credibility and toughness and change the dialogue generally. Of course, the other challenge we have is I look at the Republican response to Memphis and it makes me want to throw up. Yeah. There is nothing that suggests even any level of empathy here for anybody involved. They want to avoid it entirely because it is uh, so clear cut and so awful. And of course, you see some of these hacks on uh, right-wing television saying, well, if only he'd complied. They're trying to uh, erase it away in some fashion. But it's generally not even a sense of outrage that this innocent young man just trying to make his way home was brutally beaten and murdered, not just by these five cops, but with others standing around saying, kick him, beat him, using stun guns and the rest. And it means that until we change Congress, some of the things that ought to be done, including broader police reform done through legislation, just aren't going to be there.
1: And let me say that There are two things that are inextricably linked that no one really has the nerve to say. And that is when the Republicans go on a fanatical crusade against wokeness, they are really saying, we don't want anyone to talk about things that make whites look bad. That is totally unacceptable. That is the white supremacist saying, don't talk back to me. Don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. You cannot say that the AP course on African-American history has no educational value. You cannot say Disney should be punished for being too woke and not expect the message to go out that anyone concerned about social justice, about racial justice, is a buffoon, is super sensitive, is silly, is ridiculous, is a hater of America. That conversation is so offensive and it is directly linked to this problem. And there are a band, and I will say it, of uh, never Trump Republicans who keep going back to this kind of crutch uh, saying, well, there is a wokeness problem over here. There is a wokeness problem at our university. Stop it. Stop it. That is a made up issue and it is a tool of white supremacist uh, supremacy and other people who want to tell people who are calling the whistle on social inequality, on racial crimes, telling them to shut up and we should have a zero tolerance. The next time we hear woke from one of these people, wouldn't it be nice if we said if we had a group of Democrats stand up and say, no, this is not woke you're trying to shut down genuine people pointing to a systemic problem. And hence you are part of the problem. And we just don't have anyone willing to do that because they're so nervous about being called, you know, woke or they're so nervous about being called, you know, anti-American that they kind of run for the corners and that's got to stop.
0: Yeah. If you're a white person using the word woke in that way, you, you reveal yourself to be, to being a not serious person. Like I'm just going to stop listening to you. And I, I, you know, to the point of empathy, I've said for the last seven years, it's a very difficult time to be a person with empathy. It's an even harder time to be a person with empathy surrounded by so many people who don't seem to have any. <laughs> and Danielle, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. So uh, I I saw the uh, disparities my whole childhood. Uh, they're so obvious and they become a self-fulfilling prophecy to this degree because the message sinks in. Right, and I feel like we are, even though it's it's not a, a stated policy anymore, we're we're still living in 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 the world uh, that was ushered in, or I maybe I should just say expanded upon by Rudy Giul- Giuliani, whatever his name is, Giuliani, still not in prison, still has this law license um, of broken windows policing, <laughs> you know, where uh, just.
3: Being being a blackhead is criminalized. Yeah, yeah, I just you know I, to, to 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 the earlier point that was made about wokeness. What always pisses me off, particularly as somebody who has a show called Woke as Fuck, um, mm-hmm. you know the, what what pisses me off about it is the fact that Jen typed this in the chat, and I've been and I've been saying this before is that the opposite of wokeness is to be asleep. Right, the opposite the 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 the, the Part of wokeness, right, like how it came to be, is about having a level of consciousness, awareness about yourself and the world around you. And so the war against wokeness, the proper response to that would be a war against like slumber, right, would be to ask Republicans, so why is it that you are so afraid of white people waking up? What is it about an alert and attentive white America that scares the hell out of you? Because if I were doing the fucking messaging, that's what my response would be day in and day out. What is it about? What is it about Republicans, right, that need their constituents to remain in a deep state of slumber so that they can take advantage of them, so that they can continue to steal from them, so that they can continue to lie from them? Because the more that people are awake, the more questions that they will ask. And then they will look to those elected officials who they have appointed to be their spokespeople and said, why don't you have the answers to this? Or why are you trying to deny us the answers to this? Because that's what they don't want. The more educated you become, the more questions you ask. So long as I can keep you right dumb and disconnected, the more ability that I have to control you. And at the end of the day, this is about control. White people think that it is for their benefit and for their quote unquote comfort. But at the end, what we all know is that it is for their absolute and total subjugation and control, right? And so why can't Democrats come up with that messaging as a counterpoint because that's what this is about.
0: Yeah, and Gentile, That is absolutely. And it's even worse. It's they it's not simply that they want their constituents to stay asleep. They are looking to ways to put them in a medically induced coma by destroying any curricula that address the the issues of fundamental inequality, white privilege and white supremacy in this country. Thanks, Ron DeSantis, who's leading the charge uh, on this. And, you know, instead of outlawing, which is basically what he's doing, teaching black AP history. Everybody, every student should be, that should be a requirement. If you want to be a citizen in this country, Before, when you're still a child, before you graduate from high school, and and I guess it bothers me, because it's not, it is, yes, it's black history, but it's American history. You know american history is inseparable from black history and just even and i understand why why uh, it's emphasized that way but it allows horrible people like ron DeSantis to pretend that it's this extra thing that's not serious you know it's not serious knowledge it's it's not it's not real learning i mean so uh i'm sorry i just kind of rambled because this this issue is, on the one hand, so complicated, and it's so fucking simple, right? White people just need to start looking in the mirror and face the problem head-on, because otherwise, we're going to have to keep having this conversation every few months.
4: You know? Yeah. What is, it- is that? Sorry. Go ahead.
0: Sorry, that was Gentile, but I- go-, go ahead. Jen. You um- guys can arm wrestle or whatever to decide who goes next.
4: You know, and to me, the conversation's an an interesting one, and it's a shame that someone like um, Ron DeSantis, who benefited from an educational system, and we've talked about this before, in which he was undoubtedly offered an enriching, complicated, nuanced curriculum, has decided what's good for him is not good for everybody else. He wants to dumb it down, make it boring, I you know, create conflict, divide us. Um, and you know, as you think about even even the idea of what is history is an interesting conversation to have. We have over 300 million people um, in the United States. and obviously everybody's lives is a piece of history. We always make decisions about what institutions, What conflicts, which people, which pieces of literature, what moments in the culture constitute what it is that is our history? And um, this idea that it's okay to excise a whole group of people from history, from the historical discussion, is why we have fields like African American studies coming up into educational institutions. I think UMass. Amherst, where I live near, was one of the first African-American studies departments in the country. It's why we have women's studies. It's because wh- whoever it is that kind of created the canon of what is supposed to be taught um, didn't, you know, was very centered in a kind of white maleness. And so it's interesting to, to say, you know, that's not all of us. Let's think about what, what this all can look like. And It's just very frustrating to me that um, that this becomes just such a superficial engagement in in education. I mean, I don't know. I I know that I I I just it's 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 incredibly frustrating to me and how cynical and awful people like Desantis are because they know damn well that that's what a course like um, you know AP African American history can do They can talk about this is this is a piece of history why is it excluded you know anyway I just I don't even it's just it's embarrassing and not just you know the uh, you know yeah the opposite of being woke is being awake but it I think Danielle's actually totally I mean, asleep, absolutely right. I think what
0: the opposite of being woke is being asleep
4: I'm sorry that's of woke <laughs> is being asleep I'm sorry but the, also the opposite of woke is being a joke you know, are you going to be awake and alert? Or are you a joke?
2: Or jerk. Instead
4: of it's, you know, why yeah. is there this flippant defensiveness? I'm very tired of this sort of like we're not, we're not saying this. We're not saying the thing you're accusing us of. No, we are. I yeah. think being woke is good. I think right. critical race theory is awesome. Yeah. I think all everything they're attacking is good, and I'm not going to say we're not doing. And I want to do it all. Because but, that's how I like to, I think people should be sophisticated thinkers, not raised of course. To be idiot sheep.
0: Right. That's but, my view. Yeah. But, Jen Rubin, the problem is that all of the things they're talking about are fictional. <laughs> you know, that wokeness is this, this scary thing hiding in the shadows out to get you, that CRT is going to just, to, I don't know, to harm your children somehow. I mean, CRT is not taught in schools. It's it's a legal theory. It's an advanced legal theory. I mean, so so that's part of the problem. Like they are engaged in a fight with things that are very difficult to fight against because they are made up.
1: And the reason they make them up is so that whites continue to think of themselves as victims. <laughs> a very strong correlation between Trump voters. Um, or one of the strongest correlations is between those people who think whites are discriminated against rather than blacks. That is palpably ridiculous on any statistical, any data point, but that's the mentality that whenever there is any slight correction, whenever, whether it's uh, admissions to colleges, whether it is introduction of African-American history, whatever minor little correction to the overwhelming regime of white supremacy and of white um, nationalism, that that makes them victims is the lie that they have been surviving on for forever. And nothing ever changes. You go back to the poor whites of the South, who now make up a very large part of the constituents. They've gotten a little bit more affluent, but they're still whites of the South, What did politicians tell these people for generations about the crappy schools, the crappy governance they were getting? It's okay because we are protecting you against the blacks and you're better off than the blacks, that this is a way of both justifying repression and consoling whites that we're gonna we're gonna maintain your status so that at least you're better than those people and what's more you don't have african-americans any claim to the moral high ground because we're the victims look at all these terrible things that are happening to us you're bringing up subjects our kids get embarrassed about what a crime against humanity So it is this complete twisted mindset where these people get to play victim while the real victims are the people being disproportionately murdered by police when the victims are the women who have uh, disproportionate maternal mortality rates when the evidence is all around us and yet they take refuge by creating this mythology that the whites are victims. And that was what... The South did. That's what's going on today. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, the public discussion never reaches any level of substance. The only conversation is, can Santos beat Trump? What are his chances? You know, is he a better Trump? You know, all of these kind of mindless horse race, you know, kind of political pressions, rather than an examination of what he's saying, what it means, why he's making this appeal and what he gets out of it and uh, you know the the conversation and the coverage of him and this phenomenon has been unbelievably bad in part in large part because there's no diversity in newsrooms there's no one with a deep understanding or interest in this or if they are they're shunted off to the side and they're given you know a column every you know or a story every few months uh, about the latest police shoot. And yeah. I think the problem is also in journalism. Absolutely.
0: It, it's everywhere. And, and, you know, you say, uh, you're talking about the horror stories, Jen, and I, this is a slightly separate topic, but in some ways it's related. It ignores the fact that uh, Donald Trump has, has committed crimes against this country for which he is completely uh, un he's unhindered by because nobody's doing anything about it or nobody's done anything about it yet. So, so it just changes the subject entirely. And you know what you're saying about white victimhood, it just um, reminds us that it's very difficult to, to, convince people of something if they don't care that they do better than they only care that other people do worse it's it, you know it's a psychologically it's it's a bit of a nightmare so norm we need this needs to be a national conversation at the highest levels of government we need very publicly very loudly very insistently and very consistently to be tackling reparations affirmative action and and the fact that I'm i am sorry to disagree with Vice President Harrison, President Biden. America's a racist country built on white supremacy. And the, the longer we fail to acknowledge that and do something about it, the less likely it is that it's ever gonna change. I've been thinking about this. One of the things that's just been that's keeping me up at night lately is the fact that our best opportunity to make structural changes and institutional changes was during reformation. And we couldn't do then. And it just it seems far farther and farther away. Norm, sorry. (laughs) it wasn't really a question. One is there's this
2: reminds me a lot of yeah. One, this reminds me a lot of the uh, period of reconstruction and what followed from it an active effort to rewrite history and erase a large part of history. And remember all those statues of uh, Confederate leaders were actually put up in the 1890s or even the 1920s to try and uh, erase the reality of what the Civil War was all about and what happened afterwards. The second point is that uh, this is a war on public education. We're seeing in red states all across the country, they're trying to undermine and destroy public education. Now we have these massive voucher bills um, that are pouring huge sums of money, Iowa being an example. Uh, And the idea here is you're going to create private schools that are indoctrination uh, mills, basically, to try and write out of American history all of the things we've been talking about. And that will end up creating a different lens for young people going forward that will just reinforce the idea that police violence is just fine if it's happening against people we don't care about or don't like. So this is a wide attack. And the term woke, which they know nothing about any more than they know anything about CRT, is designed to mobilize people and get them viewing this as this is the enemy. And we've seen this before, but it's taking place in a wider frame, and it has entirely consumed one of our two political parties.
0: Yeah, and uh, it it definitely feels, uh, in whether it's this issue, which I think is the most important one, Um, not that the others aren't extraordinarily important as well, including um, abortion rights and gun violence. Um, We, you know, the the longer this goes on, the less it gets faced, uh, the more white people exercise their privilege and cross the line uh, from doing so unconsciously to doing so because we feel entitled to the privilege. Right, I mean that's been the that's been the arc, and it's so easy for white people to get used to the luxury of forgetting and the luxury of never having to know about this stuff. Right, so Danielle, that's that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it?
3: Yeah, you know, and I, I I've said this, uh, I said it the other day. I'm like, w- white Americans are both the problem and the answer. Yeah, absolutely. In this, absolutely. In, this in this entire you know scenario, and it is like what is going to develop a level of consistent consciousness? Because you see, we have these spurts. We have the case of the Tyree Nichols. We had the case of, you know, George Floyd of, uh, you know, uh, of Sandra Bland of, we have these inflection moments that are so disturbing that we can't look away. Right. And it is, you know, and it was the point, you know, if we, if we go back to the era of, tree lynchings as opposed to the ones that we see by guns and by suffocation and by beating, you know, that the tree lynchings were to show black people this is what happens if you don't know your place. Yep. This is the same shit we see. And so until there is a consistent level of consciousness and anger from white America saying that this is not who we are anymore and this is not who how we want to live, right? Because our kids, you know, they have their b- black friends and Asian friends and, you know, and AAPI friends. And, and like, this is not the world that Gen Z wants to live in, right, and wants to inherit. And so until there is consistent activation, and that's why I said back in 2016 that the election of Donald Trump was white supremacy's last stand. I didn't say how long that stand was going to go on for, because this is, could very well be the, hundred, the next hundred year war. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. the, the, the reality is that there is just, there is so much to be done, but it is the work of conscious white people to do right. And to challenge each other that like what, what progress looks like is not about your comfort level, nothing, not, not, you know, any personal trainer will tell you that change happens where friction is right. Not where your comfort is. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I, I hate appealing to people's self-interest because it seems like, uh, I don't know, that they should do the hard work without (laughs) having their self-interest appeal to, but this is America after all. But, uh, you know, so part of the work that white Americans need to do is start understanding how this, this harms them. Uh, and you know, there's a book It was written in the eighties, but it it started some scholarship about this impacts of racism on white Americans by Bowser and Hunt. And, you know, it, it just, uh, it narrows our world, uh, drastically and it perpetuates the pro a problem of our own making, you know, and, and, and I, I guess I, and by saying, white Americans aren't responsible for what happened 200 years ago or what happened during Jim Crow. But if you don't acknowledge it and don't acknowledge the ways in which we benefit from systems that were set up in those eras, then guess what guys you own what happens now. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: So let's, let's maybe think of it that way. You know, uh, it makes you complicit. And nobody wants that. Um, let, me, uh, let me just add sure. just a coded
1: to that. White Americans should love American democracy as much as Black Americans do. For Black Amer- Americans to have fought generation after generation to perfect American democracy shows a level of patriotism almost beyond imagination. And whites should seek to emulate that, quite frankly. Do we love a democracy, a true democracy enough to actually do something about it, to actually educate and fight for it? I don't know. I don't know. We've been uh, African-Americans have been carrying the load for democracy for a long time now. Maybe it's time for whites to do something.
0: Yeah, Jen, I don't know either. I wish I wish I did know the answer to that question. But and, and we haven't even we didn't even get to. The issue of intergenerational trauma and epigenetics and stuff like that which which is something we will have to talk about someday because in the context of both of those things black americans are still the ones doing the hard work to try to make america a democracy um anyway i difficult conversation i so appreciate all appreciate all of you for being here being so honest and and just You know grappling with uh this very terrible (laughs) uh difficult uh subject uh, in in really increasingly difficult times uh so norm ornstein danielle moody jen taub jen rubin thank you my nerds uh you were all amazing and i will hopefully see you soon Thank you so much to Norm Ornstein, Jen Jen Rubin, Daniel Moody for joining me today. Thank to all of you. I know this is not an easy conversation, but it's a necessary one, and we're going to keep having it um, because it needs to be had, Uh, especially if uh, the powers that be refuse to uh, take up the fight in the way it needs to be taken up. Uh, So, um, yeah, I tough stuff though anyway um but you know it's uh, also the least we can do uh honestly so uh we will be back thursday at 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific for the mary trump show uh and um friday 12 noon for house of horrors uh in which we talk about the worst things that have happened in Kevin McCarthy's House of Representatives uh, in the course of the, the preceding week. That's at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And, of course, we'll be back next Tuesday with the nerds, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And you can watch all of those at youtube.com politicon. And while you're there, you can like the episode. You can comment on the episode if you didn't catch it live. And you can... There we go. Click on that button so you can be sure to be alerted every time a new video drops. Uh, we're doing short videos, um, always on Saturdays and, uh, probably always, or often on Wednesdays as well. So, so keep an eye out for those. Um, and of course you can, uh, listen to all of the episodes, uh, in podcast form. On Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, five-star reviews are greatly appreciated because it really does help other people find the show. Uh, and we're, we're hoping more and more people will do that. And that does it for us today. Thank you again so much for being here, hanging with us, um, staying strong. Uh, I appreciate all of you very much. And I will see you Thursday. In the meantime, please stay safe and be kind.